Last week we talked about the tree of life and being Jesus, and I agree with that, not going to change that, but I wanted to add a little bit to that that's going to be very fitting into what we're talking about tonight, and I just didn't have time to get into it all last week. Remember that I mentioned that the Torah handles of the scrolls that they have, it's called the tree of life. And I think that that is very fitting. I told you that I believe that Jesus is that tree of life. And that is because Jesus, being the tree of life, is also the Torah as well. Because he is the word. The word of God is the word of God, old or new. And that word became flesh and dwelt among us. So since Jesus is the word, he is Torah, and it's the tree of life. And I find it so fitting that those handles holding the word of God, it's life. It's like this is where you get life. I know Ron, when we would talk to Ron Elberg there in Israel about, you know, the commandments and the laws, and he said it... It, it isn't like we don't talk about the Ten Commandments. We don't talk about that. It's just, it's a way of life. It's who you are. We don't need that. It's kind of like what I've said about evangelism for years, that we should get rid of evangelism committees. Because what we send the message, in a sense, is that, okay, well, they're the ones that evangelize for us, so that's covered. You're all on the evangelism committee. There shouldn't be a committee. You're all it. And it shouldn't be a job or a task that you have to check off. That is the definition of legalism right there. But because you love God and you love people, and it's like, wow, I need to go tell that person about Jesus because they're going to hell. And you do it because you love them. That isn't a check. That's who you are. And the Bible tells us that his commands of his word is what gives life. I mean, we could be here all night talking about verses that talk about that. Bringing health to your bones. Um, it's just fascinating. It's interesting that Jesus is constantly pointing to the Father. And his commands. I do only what my father tells me to do. And yet as a church so often. Modern day Christianity points to Jesus. Saying no commands. Jesus pointed to the father. Look at these commands. We point to Jesus. No commands. Keep this in mind as we close this out. In Revelation. Because Revelation is going to close out. With an encouragement to keep his commandments again. Let's get started here in verse 6. We went to, through verse 5 last week. It says here in chapter 22, verse 6, Then he said to me, These words are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. Kind of sounds almost like how it began. John... There was an angel 
that came to give John a message, and John was supposed to pass that on, and God had given the message to the angel first, that hierarchy, passing it down. And these words are faithful and true, and the Lord God of holy prophets sent his holy, or his angel, to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. He's summing it up. This is what I've told you. Here it is. Like the prophets who often were to warn the Israelites in the Old Testament days that judgment's coming, you need to repent. That's exactly what this book was supposed to do. We've made it a book that's been trying to figure out when is the end of the world coming. You know, oh, is this the, the mark of the beast? The message is repent. I'm sending you a message so that you can be in heaven with me. Now this word shortly, must shortly take place, is one of the reasons that people also can accept that 70 AD fulfillment. Because they're going, 2,000 years, that's not shortly. But in God's time, it is short. As I've mentioned before, I don't care if the Lord doesn't come back for a million years. He's coming back for you shortly. We're all only given a short amount of time in this life. And so that message is for you. For you can all prophesy, it says here in 1 Corinthians 14, in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of the prophets, or spirits of prophets, are subject to the control of prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. Prophecy is not subject to the prophets. It's not subject to our interpretation. It is subject to the Spirit of God. To the Word of God, working through that Spirit. We'll continue on and maybe touch that later. But verse 7 says, Behold, I am come, coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Now I, John, saw and heard these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Then he said to me, See that you do not do that. For I am your servant or your fellow servant and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. You're not supposed to worship anybody but God. Talking with Mackenzie earlier and asking questions about in Catholicism and the prayers that they have to say in regards to Mary and why they pray to Mary because they feel that Mary, being the mother of God, has some closeness to them. And so it's just easier to go and talk to Mary, who can then relay your, you know, your prayers on. This verse goes against that, too. Don't do that. Worship God. Scripture says, I think it's in Timothy, that there is one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus. None other. You don't need to pray to a saint. You, need, you don't need to, you know 
talk to your mom and dad on their deathbed and say, hey, do me a favor, tell Jesus I said this. You don't need to do that. You have a direct line to God. Well, today, this gift of prophecy is something that we are told to seek and desire. In 1 Corinthians 14, 1, it says, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. I don't think we talk enough about spiritual gifts. And sometimes then when we do, we don't talk enough about the rest of Scripture. It seems like we either let that pendulum go way over here or we let it go way over here. But here the scriptures are telling us that we should be praying for the gift of prophecy. Here in Revelation it says, he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Now I find that just an interesting way to phrase this. Keep the words of the prophecy? It's almost like it's telling you to do something. But prophecy is just like, well, okay, I got that, I heard that. But it's saying keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. That's because prophets, angels, they gave us this message. But part of this message, part of the prophecy is you better be doing. You better be awake. You better repent. We're going to see a lot more of this as we go. John heard these things, and that message, just behold, I'm coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of this prophecy, caused him to... Something there struck him to the heart so much that he fell down to worship at the feet of this angel. Now, we'll talk about that here in a second. You think, come on, John. I I, I mean, you know better. Some people give him a hard time, but there may be some legitimate explanations as well. Um, I'll get to that in a second. But verse 7 gives one of the three times here in this chapter alone that it's going to tell you Jesus is coming soon. We've heard if you hear something once, it's, you know, yeah, great. If you hear it twice, you better listen. And if you hear it three times... He's really trying to get your attention here. And so this is the first of three times in this chapter. He'll say, I am coming soon or quickly. This coming quickly to respond to this coming soon aspect. Those are two different meanings. It can mean you only got a week left. It can also mean when this starts to happen, you will not have time to repent because I am coming quickly. I am going to be coming like a thief in the night. When everyone is saying peace and safety, suddenly destruction will come upon them. And I think that that's more of what he's saying here when I'm coming soon or I'm coming quickly is along the lines of you won't have time. You better be prepared in advance. This blessed, blessed are those is the sixth of the seven beatitudes 
in the book of Revelation. We've seen five prior to this, and now here is number six. There will be a seventh. Well, going back here to this work that seems to be done, who keep the words of this prophecy. We did see the attributes of the church way back in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 and talked about those who did not take the mark of the beast and so on. There's a number of those type of things that are mentioned throughout the book of Revelation as well that are things that are of the prophecy that we are to do. The churches were filled with them. You've lost your first love. Have you lost your first love, the excitement of God, and now you find vacations, toys, maybe family, more fun and more precious than Jesus? Have you allowed your heart to be divided? Well, blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Remember your first love. I can go through really all of the churches, just about all but one, and you would see this prophetic instruction. I find it fascinating that John is the one that wrote this book. If this would have been me, and this happened to me, and I was in control of writing this book, I probably might have left out verse 8 and 9. But he's honest with his mistake here. As I said, that there may be an honest possibility here, an honest mistake. Um... One of the things that I always have found interesting, some think he was just confused, possibly. Everything going on, boom, just, oh, you know, I'm going to start worshiping God. No, 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 don't do that. Others say, though, that maybe he thought that he was actually worshiping God there. Because this is an angel of God. And the views of angels back in this day was that every single one of you have an angel, and that angel looks like you. Takes on your voice, your mannerisms, your physical appearance. This is why when we see Peter, when he was in prison, an angel re releases him, rescues him, he goes to the door of this house and a woman opens the door and it's Peter. They had just been praying for Peter. So, as any woman would do, she shuts the door in Peter's face, goes in, runs in and tells them and says, guys, Peter's at the door. And do you remember the response that all the other guys said? Nonsense. It must be his angel. That is a scriptural example of this belief of how they had it. That was such a common way of looking at things that some think that maybe John thought Yeshua's angel would look like 
that, and therefore this is Yeshua. I don't know. We don't know. All I know is that there's a lesson here, and that lesson is you don't worship anybody or anything except for God. And worship can come in many different forms. It doesn't have to be falling down on your knees. It can be holding on too tightly to any of that. I've said this before, but the Benham brothers talked about this, that God gives us gifts, whether it be our children, whether it be our homes, any of our material possessions, any of our friends, our family, or our health, whatever it is. And we should always have it with an open hand. Because that way when God wants it back, he can take it. But if we hold on to whatever it is, maybe our children, and we hang on too tightly, and God says, I want them back, he has to pry our hands and it's going to be painful. So all of the gifts that God gives us, we need to keep with an open hand realizing they're not ours. And I say this because worship sometimes can be just because we love something more than God. And if we're not willing to let God have it back, that means that we love that object more than we love the giver of the object. Anyway, moving on. In verse 9 here, of those who keep the words of this book. See that again? See that you do not do that. For I am your fellow servant and of the brethren of the prophets and of those who keep the words of this book. Angels obey God. Angels keep the commandments of God. Oh, but you don't have to. That's just for the angels. Well, that was just for Israel back then. No, angels keep the commandments of God. What's that? Unless they're fallen. Unless they're fallen. Thank you. Good, good clarification. Matthew 19, 17 says, So he said to him, Why do you call me good? Remember, this, this guy is coming to Jesus, and he says, Good teacher. Jesus says, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one. That is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. Remember the Torah scrolls, the tree of life. If you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. This is Jesus speaking. Now again, to clarify, I know you guys know this, but maybe people listening don't. We're not talking about keeping the commandments to earn eternal life. It's saying, if you love me, you're going to do what I say. If you love me, I've taken care of it. And so your keeping the commandments doesn't get you to heaven. Your keeping the commandments is evidence that you have a relationship with Jesus and you love him. John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. John 12, 50 says, And I know that this, or his command, is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. I love that. And I know that his command is everlasting life. 
Can you see how many times we're seeing a connection between life, inheriting the tree of life, eternal life, with keeping commands? Revelation 14, 12, here is the patient of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Notice that twofold. They go hand in hand. Keeping the commandments of God without faith in Jesus doesn't work. Faith without works is dead. Works without faith is dead. They, you have to have both. Verse 10. He said to me, do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. Remember Daniel, way back when, was said, Daniel was told to keep, you know, or do, uh, he said, seal up the words or the prophecy of this book. Seal it up. Right? He says, for the time is, it's for the time of the end. And now he's saying, must be the time of the end because you're not to seal it up anymore. Verse 11, he who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. That was always kind of an interesting phrase to me. First of all, Romans 13, in helping us understand a little bit, starting at verse 11, says, Do this, understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber, because your salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over, the day is almost here. So, let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. You see, the hour is near. It's, it, it's at hand, he says. And so, the night's almost over. The day is almost here. It's coming. Let us put aside all this evil, this wickedness. Put on light. Put on good deeds. So what does it mean then? Well, let him who is filthy continue to be filthy. Daniel 8.26 seems to say the same thing. He says that, um, or no, that's the one where it says the vis visions of the evening and the morning have been given to you, but seal up the vision, for it concerns a distant future. But in Daniel as well, he talks about none of the wicked will understand. The wicked will continue to be wicked. That seems to be what it's saying here. The filthy are going to continue to be filthy. The righteous are going to continue to be righteous. I know that hasn't cleared it up all yet, but I'm going to give you some things that the Jews teach about this that I think is going to help clear it up here. Um, but the bottom line is, those who ignore the words of this book are going to continue to do wrong because they're not going to seek God who gives them strength to change. At this point, they're already in the lake of fire in Revelation. But remember, he's now kind of summing it all up and he's saying, all right, now that I've told you what's happened, 
here is a final exhortation. And so he's not just talking about those who have already been thrown in the lake of fire now. He's talking to us today. Okay? The Hebrew of this word filthy is the equivalent of unclean. Okay? Well, Midrash commentary basically on Leviticus 11.43 about unclean things says this. If a man defiles himself a little by unclean things, they, the unclean things, defile him much. If below on earth they defile, they do so above. And let that sink in. If in this world they defile him in the olam chaba, or the end times, the world to come, if a man sanctifies himself a little, they, the clean things, sanctify him much. If below on earth, they sanctify him above. This is heavenly karma. And what I mean by that is this. If you are defiling yourself here with wickedness and uncleanliness on earth, it defiles you a little bit here, but a lot in heaven. If you are living a righteous life here on earth, that sanctifies you a little here, but it is carried into the olam haba, the, the end times, the world to come. And there it sanctifies you much. Basically, it is saying exactly what the book of Revelation has been telling us over and over. They will be rewarded according to what they have done, according to their deeds. And that's how they see it, that if you're living unclean here in filthiness, those things are only going to be even worse in the afterlife. But if you live clean in, in holiness here, it will be rewarded greatly in the afterlife. So a little here, but a lot there. I think that's kind of what it's talking about. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still, even in the afterlife. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still, but even more so, more rewarded, more blessed. Ezekiel 3.27 When I speak to you, I will open your mouth and you shall say to them, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, whoever will listen, let him listen. Whoever will refuse, let him refuse, for they are a rebellious house. If you're going to listen, let them listen and, and, and reap the rewards. If you're not going to, let them rebel. It's okay because they'll get it later. Their punishment is going to come. Just like all these evils that are going on in the world right now today, we can look at them and go, you know, oh, God, why are you letting this go on? He says, let the filthy be filthy still. None of the wicked are going to understand. But let me tell you, in the end... They're going to get it. I've got this. 
you don't need to worry about it. All you need to do is go be holy because you're going to be even rewarded greatly more later. Yep. We can't beat people up to get them to accept the gospel. We are, have a responsibility to just go out and share, and God does what he does with it. Yep. We read here in Jeremiah 44, verse 25 and following, You and your wives have shown by your actions what you promised when you said, We will certainly carry out the vows we made to burn incense and pour out drink offerings to the Queen of Heaven. Go ahead then. Do what you promised. Keep your vows, for I'm watching over them for harm. There are many scripture verses basically saying this same thing. Go ahead, keep doing evil. I'm watching, and you are not getting away with it. Ecclesiastes 11.9, Solomon wrote, Be happy, young man, while you're young, and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. Go ahead. But know that for all these things, God will bring you to judgment. You've been warned, but go ahead. I'm not going to beat you up over it like you were saying in evangelism. I'm not going to, you know, lose sleep over this. I'll pray for you, but let the dead bury their own dead. Daniel 12.10, many will be purified, made spotless, and refined, but, though, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. This is why 1 Timothy 4, verses 8 through 10, talk about us to, to labor and strive for godliness. Let the righteous continue to be righteous. But guys, it's not going to come through osmosis. That means labor and strive for righteousness. Strive to be sanctified. Seek his word. Lord, what can I do? How can I find you more? How can I know more about you? Well, isn't it interesting the Bible tells us about that? God says, I gave you these commands so that you may know me. All of these things are all just fitting together. Keep the commands so that you will be sanctified and know who God is. He is revealed through his law, through his words. Verse 12, and behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. Oh no, you can't do anything. Well, that's not what the Bible says. You will be given or rewarded according to your work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Isaiah 40.10 agrees with this. It says, see, the sovereign Lord comes with power and his arm rules for him. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. Or Isaiah 62.11, The Lord has made proclamation to the ends of the earth. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your Savior comes. See, his reward is with him. His recompense accompanies him. Or Matthew 16.27, For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. He's coming. And then he will reward each person according to what he has done. 
Let the wicked continue to be wicked. Let the righteous continue to be righteous. So here is the second urgent message. I am coming soon. I'm coming quickly. Christ being the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last, first of all, identifies him. We saw that back in Revelation chapter 1, verse 18, or verse 8 and verse 17 as well. We see it in 21, verse 6. This is just like a stamp, a seal. This is me. This is God. He is eternal. And because he's eternal, he's the first and the last, the creator of all things, he has the right to give his rewards out as he sees fit. Verse 14, blessed are those who do his commandments. Man, there's a lot of commandments here to close out Revelation, isn't there? A lot of telling you to obey. Yeah, it's almost like this should be in the Old Testament. Okay? Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life. What does the commandments bring? Life. That's how we started it out. It brings life. It brings life. Read Psalm you know, uh, 19. Is it 19 or 119? 119. Yeah. Psalm 119. Just over and over and over. So... <clears throat> They may enter through the gates into the city. You want to get into the gates? Well, I guess you have to do his commandments. Because if you're not doing his commandments, maybe you've lied to yourself and you're not a Christian. Maybe you've been operating under cheap grace. You thought, oh, I can get into heaven without keeping the commandments. I am saved by grace, so now let me go live my life, Lord. Which is, yeah, some translations do say have washed your robes. Which, when you go back to Revelation 19, what are the robes? The righteous acts of the saints. So it is the same thing. So the hard thing is hard. Yeah. Well, that's where, honestly, that's where rabbinical Judaism is today. They put us to shame in keeping the commandments, but they're going to hell because no Christ. That's why I say you can't have... Just one. You can't have just Jesus and not the commandments. And you can't have the commandments without Jesus. You're going to hell either way. Yeah, it's very good. Satan is not against morality. He's against you knowing Christ. Yeah, there are good moral atheists out there that will go to hell. You need to know Christ so that Christ has the power then to have you do good moral things. And again, I need to clarify this a little bit. It's so hard because you can't put into words actions. <laughs> I don't want anybody to go out and think, okay, in order to get to heaven, you have to know Christ and I have to go do these good things. Because what you've done is you've separated the work from Christ and you've made it two things. Knowing Christ and doing good. It's one thing. Knowing Christ and then doing things through Christ. You're not out there trying to do good things. You're just doing them because it's who you are. 
Because even in the Catholic Church, sometimes they have that teaching that it's not just by grace alone, but also by works. I could agree with that if you're understanding that statement properly. But if you have it as two separate things, I still disagree with it. It's one thing. It's works done through Christ, if that makes sense. Um, 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Well, first of all, verse 15. But outside are dogs and sorcerers, sexually immoral, murderers, idolaters, and whoever loves and practices a lie. Outside are dogs. Dog is kind of a slang for basically really Gentiles, by the way. They were called dogs, um, but evildoers. Sorcerers. You might think, oh, those are witches and whatnot. No, there's all kinds of sorcery, as we mentioned before, that has crept into the church and into our lives um, that we need to be very careful of. Okay, spells, um, pharmacia, drugs, also sexually immoral. Well, where's that line? Oh, if they've molested kids, that's sexually immoral. Or oh, maybe it's pornography. That's sexually Maybe it's lustful eyes. That's sexual. I mean, where is the line that defines sexually immoral? It's a question to ask yourself. I'll tell you this, if it's not pure and holy, it's sexually immoral. We should not have crass talk or joking, even about sexual things among Christianity. Sometimes we feel like we, we can do that. No, we should not even joke about those things as Christians. Murderers. Jesus said, if you hate your brother, you're a murderer. Idolaters, whoever loves and practices a lie. Have we justified lies? Oh, it's just a little white lie. I've really always appreciated my wife in that. I'll tell you what, you, you get what you get with her. She's not going to lie to you. <laughs> if she doesn't like your hat and you say, do you like, do you like this dress? She will not lie to you. <laughs> We've had many conversations about what would Jesus do? You know, if, if some you know, kid has this hat and they're just so proud of this hat and it is awfully ugly. Me, I'd say, oh, it's beautiful. She will not say that. Now, she's not going to be mean to the kid either. We talked about what would Jesus do? She'd probably say, well, do you like your hat? Right? But anyway. What if somebody had an ugly baby? <laughs> if somebody, oh, I'll tell them. <laughs> it's an ugly baby. Most babies are ugly in my book, sorry. But <laughs> not all, but. <laughs> anyway, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, homosexual offenders, nor thieves, 
nor greedy, drunkards, slanderers, swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Guys, that's a pretty good list that I bet all of us could find a little bit of ourselves in there. Why does he point out male prostitutes? Yeah, um, male prostitutes nor homosexual offenders. I don't, I think it was a common thing there, but I think it's kind of focusing on that homosexuality, but I don't know. It's a good question. But that list, and guys, these are New Testament verses, and it says you will not inherit the kingdom of God if this is who you are. Again, I think because in Christianity we have taught this message that, oh, you're free in Christ, we have removed the fear of God to where these verses don't put the fear of God into you to say, I need to keep the commandments of God. God, I want to know you. I want to run to you so that you just live through me. Colossians 3, 5 through 6, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality. Boy, that one comes up a lot. I wonder why. I think because it is so common that our, our minds and our hearts are so wicked and defiled by our culture and by just the devil and by the flesh. But it's brought up so often that if that is something you're struggling with, then you had better be repenting and running to God because I'm telling you, as Jamie Walden would say, you're not an asset, you're a liability. And we have these people who are caught up in pornography and have been caught up in pornography for years and years and years and week after week and month after month. How's it going? Well, yeah, I, I, I stumbled this week. And if this has been going on for months and years, then you're not fearing God. You are not taking this seriously. You are a liability, and I am done. When you are ready to talk serious about this stuff, come back. You know, I counsel people from time to time, and I tell them, listen, I know the right answers. But I can't make you do those answers. Scripture gives you the answers. If you're not willing to do what Scripture says, I can't help you. And I'm not going to waste my time. If those are things that people are struggling with, whatever the sexual immorality is, I am telling you, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's God saying this, not me. It's right there. Put to death these things, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. This fits very well with the wedding banquet where the man who was not wearing wedding clothes was thrown outside where there was weeping and gnashing of teeth in Matthew 22. Um, That outside is not only of the New Jerusalem, but in the lake of fire. That's where the weeping and gnashing of teeth was. But it's also outside of God and His presence. Because God cannot have unholiness in His presence. That's why even in the church, we're not to tolerate all of this. I'm telling you, if I see one of you guys living in sin, I'm going to come and talk to you. I'm not saying if you screw up here or there, we all do that. But if you're living in willful sin, I'm coming to talk to you. 
I, I don't care. And I would expect you to do the same for me. In 1 Corinthians 5, it says that with these kind of people who call themselves brothers, with such a man do not even eat. Don't associate with them. And if we've got Christian brothers who have been caught in pornography for years and they're still, you know, haven't beaten this and they're still, you know, or, or I should say willful on this one. If they're willfully accepting any sort of sin, see ya. Let the wicked continue to be wicked. But I'm not going to allow... Just as that picture is, God cannot have unholiness in, his, in the presence of His holiness. I said unholiness in the presence of His holiness. We're a picture of that. We're not supposed to be around and, and chumming around with unholiness. Because just like the Israelites, it will contaminate you. This is a great way to begin the Feast of Trumpets coming up here next week to examine ourselves and examine the seriousness of our sin and how much of an abomination and, and just how disgusting it is to God. This isn't a small thing. This is wickedness. Verse 20, And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord, and they said to him, You see, brother, how many myriads of Jews there are who have believed, and they are zealous for the law. Sorry, Acts 21, verse 20. We have in here, well, Paul got rid of the law. Paul's, I mean, Acts is filled with Paul saying, they're zealous for the law, and this was a good thing that he was speaking about. Or Acts 23, the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Those who stood by said, do you revile God's high priest? Then Paul said, whoa, I, I didn't know, brethren, that he was the high priest. For it's written, I'm going to take you back to Torah. The Torah says, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. When Paul was confronted because he did something he didn't realize, I, I repent, I'm sorry, I didn't realize it. Paul took the law seriously. Acts 26, 22, Therefore, have, having obtained uh, help from God to this day, I stand witnessing both to small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come. Speaking of Jesus, because the law and the prophets spoke of him. Acts 28, 23, So when they had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law and Mo law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. Should we be zealous for the law? Absolutely. Because if the law speaks about Jesus, then I want to know all about it. And if you're not seeing Jesus in the law, then you must not be understanding it. And that is why Revelation a book that is a revelation about Jesus Christ is telling you, keep the commandments, guard the commandments, because this is how you're going to get to know Jesus better. This is how God is revealed to you in many ways. 
the revelation of Jesus Christ, as you are seeing, is closely connected to keeping his commandments. Back to Revelation 22, verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. We see Isaiah 11, 1 and 10 talking about Jesus, the branch, the root of Jesse. Again, just identifying who this is. If you recall the first few verses of the book of Revelation, it pretty much said the same thing as well. Remember that chiastic structure. The end and the beginning are just tying together. That root is significant because it identifies Christ as the Messiah. The offspring of David. I love that. Do you know this one fact alone proves Yeshua was, was the Mashiach, the Messiah? Today, it would be very difficult, even with genetics, to prove that you came from David. Back then, this is why we see Matthew and Luke and whatnot, you give a genealogy. It is proof positive that this guy, maybe he's not the Messiah, but he could be because he's in the line of David. Now, I know he was. I'm just saying that back then... That's what it was point. Listen, here's one of the evidences. Today, I don't think even with DNA and all these things that you could prove that. So, very significant. Um, this bright and morning star he's called. Look at Numbers 24, 17. Remember, Balaam prophesied even about Jesus. An ungodly man even couldn't help but prophesy about Jesus, saying, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. That's why Jesus is called the bright morning star. Second Peter 1.19, We have the words of the prophets made more certain. And you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Daniel 12.3 Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. <clears throat> Perhaps, as I say here, the true meaning of the light of the world shining upon us. Jesus, the morning star, the light of the world shining on us, and we go out and get to shine like the stars as well because of Jesus. <clears throat> Verse 17, <clears throat> The Spirit and the bride says, Come. Let him who hears say, Come. Let him who thirsts, Come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. What a wonderful invitation for all to come. It's a final altar call, you might say. And it's also a call for Yeshua to come back. And this gift that he gives, it is for everyone. It is not a limited supply, but it is limited time. 
It is free. The gift of life is free, but not because it has no cost. There's a great cost in following Jesus. But on one hand, that cost is nothing. Because this world means nothing. It might cost you this world, but you will happily give it up because it means nothing to you. Verse 18. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things... God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. What I love about that is he's quoting here Deuteronomy. Going back to Torah again. Deuteronomy 4 verse 2. Do not add to what I command you and do not subtract it, but keep the commands of the Lord your God that I give you. You could look at Deuteronomy 12, 32, Proverbs 30, verse 6 as well. Note that consistency of keeping the commandments that goes with it. I'm going to share a little bit more on this verse in Deuteronomy in a second, but the Hebrew of Deuteronomy 4, 2 has two different things there. A katuv, which is the written word, and devarim, which is the essence of the word. The written and the essence of it. And so Deuteronomy basically says this, don't change the physical word or the principles of it. Since it's really what is being quoted here in Revelation, I think the same applies. So if scripture doesn't say it, be careful. This is why scripture needs to interpret scripture. Not your theology. Not your desires. But scripture only. The Catholic Church used to, and I think to some extent still today, do rely upon the Pope to interpret the scriptures for them. Because he's infallible. When it comes to theology verse 18 basically tells us let scripture interpret scripture I think don't add you don't need a guru you need the Holy Spirit period now going back to Deuteronomy 420 here it says you shall teach them the statutes and the laws and show them the way in which they must walk in the work they must do. The context here is Jethro. Moses' father-in-law was telling Moses that, you know, this work is too much for you. Let me give you this advice, basically. What I find fascinating is, remember, Moses is a Christ figure. And so we have Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, coming to Moses. Just as God the Father came to Jesus, and Jesus only did what his Father told him to do. All of this so that if they would keep the commands, they could do what? Enter the promised land. 
Now, the exact same exhortation from Deuteronomy 4 is being given in Revelation. Keep the commands, which he has said over and over already now in this chapter. Why? So that you can get into your promised land, the new Jerusalem. Revelation wasn't quoting Deuteronomy 4 just willy-nilly. He was quoting it because it's the same truth, not only in the word, but in the essence and principle of it. Keep the commands, because without it, you will not enter the kingdom of God. 1 John 5, by this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and keep his commandments... For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. I think most of you here know that keeping the commandments have only brought freedom and joy in your life. Not burden. It used to be when I was under a church that actually taught me, you know, pretty much no law. (laughs) It used to be a burden. It no longer is. It's a joy. It's a desire. It's a want. It's my heart. If any of you have no desire to keep the commandments of God, maybe this is how you know you do not know God. You know of Him. Logan, help me out. Vodibachum had said something about the people they uh, about Jesus and okay modern say that one more time slower and louder the modern church is producing passionate people with empty heads who love the Jesus they don't know very well yep I love that yeah it is so true Modern church is producing passionate people with empty heads who love Jesus but don't know him very well. This we know. You want to know if you know God? If you don't have a heart for his commandments, I'm going to suggest that you've been lying to yourself. Maybe even the church has lied to you. But you do not know Jesus yet. And you should... Make it your life's goal to get to know him. Not of him. Not about him. To know him. Verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. The third time he says this. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. John 5.36 says, But I have a greater witness than John's, for the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do, bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. God sent Jesus ahead of you as an example. And the very works that he did are the works that he wants you to do. If you knew the end was this next week, 
What would you do tomorrow? What would you do tonight? Would your words to your loved ones change? Would the cares that you have this week of this world and your jobs or whatever it might be, would would those be different? Think about that. Why don't we live each day as if it's our last? When it says, he who testifies, that's important because as we saw here, there is no greater witness than John's, he says, for the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do bear witness of me. John was witnessing about Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate witness, the greatest testimony. He says, I do not accept man's testimony about man. Because I know what's in a man's heart, Jesus said in John. He says, the Spirit and the Father testify for me. So he who testifies to these things... It is basically saying the ultimate authority, the ultimate truth. You can take this to the bank. There is absolutely no falsehood in this at all. So a very appropriate way of ending this. That and it's fitting that the last words of Revelation are this. Salvation, ultimately, in Yeshua. It began with him, the revelation of Jesus Christ. It ends, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This is a book about Jesus, not who's the Antichrist. It's about Jesus. So, what are we to do with all this information? Is up to you to answer. Um, But I hope as we get into the Feast of Trumpets that this has been something that's going to challenge you to examine your hearts and to go deep. Not just about the obvious sins of pornography, cussing, swearing, whatever it might be, but the things of the heart. Loving your brothers and sisters in Christ being willing to give of your time and to pour out to others, to, to love the ungodly enough to warn them. Have you been greedy and selfish like those lepers who were healed, but just keep it all to themselves? Because even that is something we need to repent of. Lord, I, I've kept this a secret. I, I have not loved your people. I've not gone out and, and been bold for you. I've been very private with my faith. So examine your heart and get ready for next week as we begin the Feast of Trumpets. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving us, for forgiving us, for warning us, rebuking us, challenging us, and never forsaking or leaving us. Lord, you discipline those you love. And I pray that if uh, 
this has been harsh for anybody tonight that they would realize that, that this is all out of love and that each and every one of us would be challenged by these things and that we would reflect and that you, Lord, would reveal to us, show us our sins, show us our anxious thoughts, show us our, our sins in every way that we may take accountability for them and that we may repent knowing that forgiveness has already been given on that cross. For those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. But also knowing that what is unclean here on earth will bring no reward in heaven, but only great loss. So let us invest in your kingdom. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen.